Today on Cutting Oranges, I'll be in conversation with the true footy pioneer, Shiloh Curtis. Shiloh has been instrumental in building pathways and opening doors for young women playing the game. She's played footy herself and was one of the first women to ever play on the MCG. We dive into what AFLW means for society and how the game will continue to grow from here. I can't wait for you to hear Shiloh's story. Welcome Shiloh, thank you for joining me on Cutting Oranges. Thanks very much, I don't know if I've ever cut many oranges, I have to say. Oh really? Oh well, I don't know, we had watermelon and pineapple at half time. Oh, very exotic. I know, I know. I love that. Yeah, sophisticated at Melbourne Uni. Yeah, oh Melbourne Uni, I always thought Melbourne Uni girls were a bit more sophisticated, so the pineapple and watermelon definitely paints that picture. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, we're going to, I guess, start at the beginning. Can you tell me a bit about yourself growing up and, I guess, what your parents did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, I always sort of talk about my story being before I was born. My dad came here from Turkey in 1969 as a 13-year-old boy from Turkey um, and, of course, came uh, on a, an immigration scheme that the Australia and the Turkish government had. They were allowed to come uh, with $20 as a family. Mm. And so he was the eldest of three boys. He was the only one who spoke any English. Um, they met another family on the plane coming out and um, they were in the immigration camp in Broadmeadows for about two weeks and then the two families found a house together in Charles Street in Brunswick, oh. two-bedroom house, um, five boys under the age of 13 and four parents have no idea how that worked and they had $40 to start wow. here in Australia. So, um, yeah, so um, yeah, they found out they lived together for about six weeks and then um, my dad's family found a place but, of course, he, he went off to school and at Brunswick Tech, mm-hmm. um, and not the most welcoming place for a Turkish Muslim teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so he found it pretty tough. But footy was a way for him to integrate into Australian society and, and be sort of welcomed a bit more. So um, I guess that's kind of my origins around footy. You know, Dad loved it. Um, he did barrack for St Kilda for two weeks mm-hmm. until he realised he'd be onto a better thing if he barracked for Richmond. Okay. And so I, um, yeah, and I came along about seven years later and, of course, thought Dad was awesome. And therefore, I barracked for Richmond as well. Yeah, wow. Um, so do you remember going to the footy growing up or was that something that your family did? Not really, actually, because, you know, Dad, certainly not very sporty coming from Turkey. I've asked him about PE and stuff in Turkey and he said, oh, mm-hmm. we kicked the soccer ball and they made us go for runs, but I hated it. Yeah. Um, he's not super sporty at all. Um and yeah, and he wasn't super fan. He wasn't a super fan of crowds, and we didn't have a lot of money actually growing up. We were pretty working class. My mum's dad was a displaced person from Hungary in the Second World War, so um, yeah, we didn't have a lot of cash growing up. So going to the footy was probably a bit beyond us, yeah, and not something culturally that you know Turks did go to the football. Yeah, would um, make sense. Yeah, that's right. So um, we yeah, but we'd always have the footy on at home, watching it on TV as a family. Grand final day was a big thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, so spent a lot of time watching it on TV, but not a lot of time going to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in primary school, like, would you would you play footy at recess and lunchtime and that sort of story? Yeah, yeah. So I generally was the only girl who was allowed to play on the mm-hmm. oval with the boys because I could play like a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and the boys let me play. It was very much I knew that I was on... Um, I was being uh, gifted that opportunity mm-hmm. and I know that because I didn't let other girls and sometimes I, it would become, a, I guess, a source of frustration from other girls that, oh, how come I'm allowed to play? Mm-hmm. But they weren't and yeah. and it was very much because 
I could play like a boy. I'd achieve that sort of masculine definition of success that you can play like a boy, therefore you're allowed on this mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Um, but those girls who couldn't weren't allowed. So, but yeah, I did play at recess and lunchtime. And when I was in grade four, I had a a, a new boy in my class. He, he moved in next door. Jeffrey Roberts, his name was, and um, his dad... And he used to kick the footy all the time and it was a bit of a godsend. Um, you know, I didn't have any neighbours that kicked the footy. My brother was four years younger than me. My parents didn't know how to kick a ball. Kick a ball and, mm. But I got a lot of sort of coaching from his dad and a lot of practice and mm. footy and cricket and a um, bit of tennis. Um, so I was really fortunate that Jeff and his family moved in next door. That was, real help. That was very much a help for me. Yeah, awesome. It's pretty massive getting those skills going early. Yeah, and, you know, we're talking early 80s here. So, um, you know, as a nine-year-old... There weren't too many girls playing junior footy with the boys. It just wasn't mm. a done thing in the 80s. It was a very brave girl who put her hand up to do that. And I would, I was just far too scared to ever ask that question. So for me, my footy fix was at school, recess, lunchtime, mm-hmm. after school, weekends, school holidays, summertime with, you know, with Jeff and his family kicking the ball and hitting yeah. the ball. And it's just a godsend for me because I couldn't get that outlet anywhere else. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like I think a few other guests I've spoken about how we found our footy in all the gaps. It sort of – there wasn't – maybe the playing platform so it was at half time or you know in the backyard or whatever just any little fix you could get yeah. um you'd be kicking that ball um i was going to ask you've got a karate background as well is that right yeah yeah so whilst i couldn't play football in a community setting mm. um I, I yeah i found my way into karate and i started that when i was eight and i did karate for about 14 years mm. um and a, and it was an absolute godsend i think it um saved my life in so many ways, I'd say. And, and and there are still so many lessons that I get from karate that I use in my everyday life. It, mm-hmm. I think it's guided me as an athlete, as a person, um, very much was very present in my football career um, mm-hmm. and how I defined uh, success and the things that motivated me. And, um, and I think even um, some of the lessons around respect um, mm-hmm. and integrity, it really built some of those things into me. So, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, it was... I would have loved to have played footy growing up and, yeah. and really refined my skills and, you know, I guess at the under, other end of my life I would have been able to n- know what I could have been as a footballer and I guess because of my time and place in history I'll never know that. Mm-hmm. But with that door closed, the karate door was open and yeah. there is so much that mm-hmm. that time, those 14 years gifted me and I'm, I'm, I'll forever be grateful for that time, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure your, your body craft would have been pretty amazing once you took the field. Yeah, well, I could do a good kind of break fall and tumble roll and stand back up if yeah. someone clipped my feet or, you know, like those things are a lot of transferable things and mm. learning how to ride the bumps and, and use other people's uh, body weight and momentum, certainly around tackling mm. and um, and just not feeling the pain, I guess, when you got yeah. tackled or bumped or hit or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So how did – or when were you actually playing, uh, I guess, structured footy? Yeah, that so start? that's really interesting. So I talk quite openly about the fact that – Probably when I was five, I discovered two things: one that I'm really good at playing football, and two that I'll never get to play professionally because because I was because I was female. Mm-hmm. And um, and the message it left me with is that being female is to be deficient. Because if I wasn't, if I was enough, if I was worthy, you would have provided a platform for me to play in, play on, just like you've done for boys and men. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, yes, I played footy at school with the boys, but I always knew that I was it was upon their invitation, and mm-hmm. they were letting me play. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't have the freedom to take up my rightful place in the world. I was very aware of that and boys yeah. were very much made sure you knew that. Um, but it was when I was 20, I came across the 
Um, in fact, when I was 16, I saw a thing on Channel 7 and it was on the Victorian Women's Football League at the time. So 16, I would have been, would have been 1992. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I, I discovered there were four teams playing in this competition and there was a thing on Channel 7 on Sunday morning sport and, um, and then I looked them up in the white pages and I called up the woman and I saw there was a team in Ballarat and a team in Brunswick, of course, mm-hmm. the Brunswick Scorpions and the Ballarat Lions. And I called them up and... Um, and I thought, oh, maybe I could have a cold playing this. And I made this phone call. And anyway, the woman answered the phone and went, g'day. And I was like, oh, and then I hung up. <laughs> and I was too scared to have the conversation. So I was like, oh, no, I'll just stick a karate and keep doing that. Um, but it was four years later when I was 20. Um, mm-hmm. And I uh, had a friend who was playing in the, the VWFL. And I went and watched her play every single weekend pretty much for a whole year. But I didn't mm-hmm. play a game. And the reason why is I was waiting for an invitation. Yeah. Football had always told me that you weren't allowed to invite yourself in. You waited to be invited. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't a place that a woman or a girl could take up her place in the world. And, and even in a women's space, I still had that thinking. Mm-hmm. And so when we close doors for women and girls or anyone else in, the, in our society, that's the message that we give them that you're not allowed, you don't have agency and you, you aren't allowed to take up that place. Yeah. So at a Christmas barbecue, my friend said, oh, why don't you come and play? And I was like, oh, thanks so much. Yeah. I'm really honest ass. I don't know if you and I would be having this conversation now had that friend not given me that invitation because yeah. I, my confidence was so diminished um, that I didn't think I, you know, that I was allowed to invite myself mm-hmm. into the world. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah, I haven't looked back. You know, I had a wonderful time playing and I really enjoyed my footy career and, and, and what footy's brought me. Mm. What did it um, – I listened to a – another podcast you were on earlier actually and you said it was like finding your tribe can you talk me through what it felt like I guess stepping into Melbourne oh not Melbourne Uni it was Parkdale Parkdale played Parkdale for two years yeah what was it like discovering this whole group of women who loved footy and um I guess that sense of belonging what did that feel like yeah it felt like it felt like I was home for the very Mm. first time and I felt like um there were people like me in the world um, with similar aspirations and dreams and hopes and and even just things like buying your first pair of footy boots and mm-hmm. buying a mouth guard and um, all the things that I'd seen all the boys go through at school with their dads and going yeah. down to the local sports store and getting the bits and pieces and, mm-hmm. you know, their dad paying them a dollar for every time they kicked a goal and just stuff that I never got um, that I could finally... There was kind of this, you know, this healing piece. I speak about, you know, that five-year-old girl within me and she still walks alongside me. She's still very present. She's here today. And I think every time, and I've always said that every time we change history, that a little bit of her, a piece of her heals every mm-hmm. time. And things like that. So finding football was a way for her to heal a bit. Um, buying my first set of footy boots, she healed a bit more, you know. So um, it was pretty amazing. And the power and the things that are unleashed internally, the way your heart is nourished or my heart was nourished and my soul was nourished by finding a place in the world where I belonged finally, um, you know, it's indescribable and mm. incredibly emotional, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. That It's, yeah, it's quite emotional to hear that. Um, yeah, it's amazing that so many more girls are getting access to that feeling earlier in life. And as you said, um, you know, women and girls often need that invitation and there's not, unless you're really good at it, you don't feel like you belong and I think it's so powerful that now girls just have the opportunity to experiment and to play and step into football and they don't have to feel like they're a pro stepping in straight away they get to have that that little um I guess that experimental um place in footy where they can see if they if they like it and if they don't that's fine too but they get to play yeah and probably even one step 
before that is that football never tells them that mm. you're not enough or you're not you're unworthy or that you don't belong, um, uh, that you're deficient. That football doesn't say that to them anymore. That football actually says you are worthy and you are enough and you have so much to offer. Come and take up your rightful place in the world. That football used to tell us um, that that we're starting way behind. At our starting point in life is that we're behind and we're not enough. Mm-hmm. Football now can tell us that you were born enough. Mm-hmm. And you can do amazing things with, with, with the life that you have in front of you. Yeah, so powerful. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your actual footy career? So what sort of player were you? Um, I know you played at the highest level. So, yeah, what sort of player was Shiloh? Um, I, I played in the midfield, inside mid, uh, mostly for Melbourne Uni. About I played about 150-odd games and mm-hmm. I played for Victoria for about, I think about seven years and was an All-Australian player at one point. Um, but... Yeah, probably an inside tackling mid um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to describe yourself as a yeah. player. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know, you just went out and had a go and had a crack and yeah. tried to work hard and, mm. um, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I liked tackling. Mm-hmm. I think I was a good tackler. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, really, I, I, I loved my time and... Mm. Um, you are a very long time retired. Um, I wish I was good at singing or playing guitar or something because you can do that till you're 85. Yeah. I really miss football. I mm-hmm. still dream about at least once a month that I'm playing. Yeah. yeah. And you can never you can never go back and do it again. Mm. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what do they say that athletes die twice? Is that yeah. the saying when you finish yeah. your career and then, yeah, actual it, death, I guess? It was very hard to transition um, into not playing and mm. in my career, I had three knee reconstructions. So probably we didn't benefit from a lot of the sports science learnings that we're getting now around body preparation and the like. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I know that I got the most out of my body and the time that I had. We had a, a really successful time at, at Melbourne Uni. I think we played in eight consecutive Division One grand finals. And you know, I got to captain a premiership mm. in the VFL and uh, VWFL back then, and um, played in the very first ever women's game on the MCG um, in, on Mother's Day in two thousand and four, which was just still one of the happiest days of my life mm. and how did that opportunity come about yeah that's a really interesting story that one <laughs> essentially there was a you know the AFL was moving uh it was starting to explore um some of the conversation around um, respect and responsibility um and uh and, and implementing a women's round and a lot of the conversation around women's round at that time had been as you know mothers and partners and and um, staff even but there hadn't been a lot of conversation around players and um yeah through some of the great work of, of debbie lee and also nicole graves who was at afl victoria at the time as their as their female development football victoria back then um so through some really great advocacy um in in some of this exploration from the afl on on um what female football was about um i think yeah that opportunity came about so the VWFL was gifted um, an opportunity to play a curtain raiser. Um, it was before the Melbourne and West Coast Eagles game on Mother's Day and Ashley Sampy took that amazing mark. Um, it was a pretty special day. And, yeah, we had the we had the opportunity to play a grand final rematch between Melbourne Union and St Albans, who were the two dominant oh. teams at the time. And, you know, it was always... Uh, yeah, it was 
pretty strong rivalry between the two teams. Wow. And um, Or we could have played um, like a best of the best in the VWFL. We just didn't have enough time to orchestrate that mm. and it would have ruined the fixture and pushed everything out. So the VWFL board at the time made... And Melbourne Union and St Albans happened to be fixtured to play each other oh, that weekend. So it was within the season. So Correct. it was just like a ground change. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's right. That's awesome. So instead of hosting it, we, we played it there. Yeah. Um, and it was a really special day. I remember... Um, so we'd come off a win in the grand final the year before. We'd played the last two grand finals against each other. Um, and all week I was like, oh, it's just another game. It's take a week by week. It's just, you know, four <laughs> points. We've got to try and win another game to get to the finals, blah, blah, blah. It's all about the context of the season. Right? Just head in the game, head in the, you know, process. Right, right, right. You get to the game. And, um, and I, I really clearly remember having men say to us, can't believe you girls are getting a chance to play on the G. I've never had. I've played X number of years of football and I never played on the MCG. Mm. And so there's almost like... You know, this, oh, this, this, there's something not right in the world. The girls are getting to play and, and we boys haven't yeah. had the opportunity. Not every man is getting the chance before one woman. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, it was really – that was fascinating. But I remember very clearly, and it was when the MCG, the Southern Stand, had been demolished and they were rebuilding it. And we were in the old Richmond rooms. And uh, we walked in our passes and we walked to the room, walked down there and, you know, you go out and inspect the grass as you do because that's going to make a difference on how you play, of course, <laughs> um, to see the slant of the grass. And we came up the race and, of course, I, would, I was very much you know, process, process. And as soon as I stepped off the off the runway up to the ground and I put my foot on the grass, I just burst into tears mm. um, because there was that moment of we were stepping you know, onto the ground but we were doing something for, you know, the the many women that had missed out you know, beforehand and um, even now I can't I can't talk about that without feeling really emotional. Yeah. yeah. So it was really – it was an amazing day um, and I was really cognisant, you know, of all of those women before us that, that never got that chance mm. and it was yeah. really – it was a pretty special day actually um, and we also got the win. We lost the grand final that week, that year, but we won. We beat St Albans on the MCG. <laughs> That's you know, better. And it was a bloody awesome day. You know, I think a teammate of mine kicked, I don't know, six goals or something, and she loved it. I had four bounces. That was fun. Um, and that was a day, you know, I took my helmet off that day. I played in a helmet for a long time, and, yeah, quarter time I was really hot, and I was like, Nathan Burke has just taken his helmet off. I'll take mine off too. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a bunch of things, and I, you know, I, I'm, I can almost piece together that day really clearly seeing ourselves on the big screen yeah. for the first time and like there's very little vision of us ever playing or digital photography was just becoming a thing so not mm. everyone had a digital camera it's pre-iphone mm. you know so it's you know your whole life wasn't recorded like it is now so it was a really instrumental day for you know it, it's so burned in in our consciousness mm. and i think um yeah it, it's still one of the, the, the happiest days of my life for so many reasons yeah, it was yeah. bloody awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, my footy career was really good to me. We played, We, you know, I was probably pretty lucky. I probably won more games than I lost. Um, but I met some wonderful people. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about people and community and belonging. Um, and I learned a lot about um, the power of the platform of sport to facilitate change. Yeah. Um, and when women go out and play football, they're not just – it's not just a personal – outcome but it's very much a political one mm. and it's powerful mm. yeah it's a powerful platform yeah yeah absolutely yeah um yeah wow i feel like that day on the g has uh, definitely got us here today like i think that would have ignited something within you to 
push um, to ensure that women get the opportunity to play? I think it's one of the things, and there are many moments before that, but I also think in creating and facilitating social change and opening doors for people, it's much easier to keep persevering when you're having little wins along the way. So that day was a little win. Mm -hmm. It was a big achievement. Mm -hmm. And even back then in 2004 to convince the powers to be to let women on to the MCG, like, that was it was enormous. And and we can sit here now and I go, oh, yeah, that was only... 17 years ago. But the world was so different 17 years ago from what it is now. Like, it was massive. So, it was a little win. It was a big achievement, but it was yet another win. And all it did was just keep saying to people like Debbie and myself and Lisa Hardiman, just keep going, keep going. Because these are going to keep coming. And, you know, how do you eat an elephant? It's just one bite at a time. Mm. So, I think it's important that you have those little wins and you acknowledge them for what they are in those moments and celebrate Mm. them. And then go, okay, let's go on to the next thing now. Yeah. 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 So I think AFRW stands on, on the shoulders of lots of those little moments mm. created by lots of wonderful people along the way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to ask about um, the moment where Penny Cooler-Reed went to court with a couple of other girls to um, – because they were, apparently they were playing overage in the boys' league. Is that right? They had kept yeah. playing – yeah. The cut-off de- uh, age was 12 and there right. was three girls playing in the league and they were maybe 13. Yeah, so at the time, Football Victoria probably wasn't as well connected to some of the community leagues as they as they are now. And so the Moorabbin Saints Junior Football League, Penny, um, uh, I think it was Emily and Helen, I think the other, woman, other woman's name was, the three of them were mm. still, they were 14 and 15, still playing footy in amongst the boys and I think at different clubs. And Football Victoria discovered that they were playing. Oh, they were still they were intending to play, mm-hmm. and they came in and said, "No, the age regulation's twelve. You can't. They can't play." And and the girls went, "Stuff this." <laughs> yeah. And and so that was in two thousand. I think in 2003. And so it was amazing to see these teenage girls take on the Goliath that was Football Victoria, mm-hmm. taking them to VCAT, you know, um, and challenging, you know, this sort of sort of male stranglehold on the sport and who's who do you who are you to say that we cannot play this um we're going to take you to the courts and Mm. these girls managed to get the age range changed from 12 to 14 they changed the law and and at the same time the judge in the case said that well it's not appropriate that they come out as 15 14 15 year olds and then play against adult women like us yeah they need their own space you know kids need a space to be kids adults need a space to be adults but you've got a responsibility as a state sporting organisation to facilitate a platform for these teenage girls to play in, mm-hmm. and you need to do that. So, I know at the time, Football Victoria were, were that already commenced some work um, in in female engagement, um, but I think the case really just magnified um, the responsibility and and the opportunity to act, mm-hmm. and so they put in place um, the the role female football development manager at AFL Victoria or Football Victoria. Nicole Graves was in that role for two years, and she did a mountain of work to set up the beginnings of what became the Youth Girls Program. So she set up two competitions in, in the inner west of Melbourne where I coached Melbourne Uni and also in Melbourne's outer southeast um, where players like Cara and Allen came out of, Cara mm. Antonio came out of. And um, and then I came in in the third year in 2007 um, and got the opportunity to to, yeah, to be involved in that, that part of football. Yeah. Mm, mm. yeah. So what sort of happened during that time you would just continue to build and build and keep forming those pathways for young girls who wanted to play yeah well I think when I first got the role you know there was very much an awareness of uh you know 
oh, you know, your job's to run a few clinics and competitions for teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, but I'm like, what about a national women's competition? I think we can do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll be really honest to say there weren't too many people that thought it could or should be done. Yeah. And, you know, I, I speak quite openly that one of the challenges in building AFLW wasn't necessarily external. Um, it was internal, just convincing key decision makers that it was worth taking a chance. Like, mm-hmm. you know, women and girls have got something to offer. That's a product you can sell. You can win with, with women and girls. Mm-hmm. They're bloody awesome. Um, and so a lot of the way in which we worked um, needed to be able to keep storytelling internally to convince decision makers that to keep investing, to keep growing, to keep supporting, to keep guiding. Um, and then we, there was someone like me appointed in every state of Australia, so Jan Cooper originally just in WA and then became the National Female Development Manager. Julia Price, the ex-Australian cricketer, became that role in Queensland around the same time that I was. Libby Sadler um, in New South Wales, um, Emma Gibson in, in South Australia, um, you know, some wonderful people over that time that got involved. Bree Brock took on that role after Julia. Um, so... Yeah, we we would just do a lot of work around building the grassroots numbers, mm-hmm. just just opening the doors, let the girls flood in, let them play footy, and then make sure that we could get, you know, people that made decisions um, around strategy and budget, made sure that they heard the numbers and got them to games so mm-hmm. they could see the product that we were developing. Because I don't think I've ever come across anyone who has come to any of our games who's never walked away going, that was bloody joyful. Mm. How good is that? That's just unbelievable passion. That's a space that I want to be involved in. I've never I've never come across anyone who hasn't been a convert after they've come to one of our games. So, mm. so the second component we had to do was build a high-performance pathway. So we built an under-18 state league here and an under-18 national championships. It started off as three uh, two games between Victoria and Queensland for a couple of years. And Julia and I were like, can you get... 20 girls together for a state team and I'm like I reckon I can do that okay let's do that so we did that for a couple of years mm-hmm. um three years and then uh and the national championships happened after that and that was really crucial because you got to make sure the girls could play like boys mm. and we had to demonstrate that they could do that and that was awesome so yeah making sure that we could share who these girls were and put Izzy Huntington under the noses of the people that pulled the triggers and pulled the levers mm. to go oh wow yeah this is awesome we can do something with this um, so yeah, it was a big team effort, um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work, but you know, you look at some of the kids now. You play, you know, George G, you know, yeah. Mads Press Parkers, um, Lucy McAvoy, you know, and your poor bugger. You have to compete against kids like Izzy Huntington, yeah, <laughs> uh, Ellie Blackburn, <laughs> Dee Berry. You know, they're wonderful, wonderful kids. Um, the thing I loved about those girls is they built that competition for themselves as well. Mm. And that was what was really important. So it wasn't just myself and Jan and Julia and Libby going, hey, you know, we're going to build this thing. Mm. It was, you know, that that idea of if you build it, they'll come. And I'm like, nah, it's the other way around. If you come, they're going to have to build it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. So we were able to demonstrate, um, you know, the, the viability of the product. Mm because the girls and their families chose to invest their time and effort and energy and they committed to footy as opposed to basketball or any other sport. And then we were able to demonstrate that, yeah, you can win with this. This is awesome. And, um, and yeah, slowly we, we, we got people to see the joy in what it was and converted them. And, um, yeah, and now you have to play against Izzy Huntington. Sorry about yeah. that. 
Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. The sooner I get kicked out of the league, the better, I think. Yeah, no, I know. We, we need more of you, especially after exploits on the weekend. It was, a, it was great. And that's, that's the wonderful thing, you know. Um, you know, you get to watch. You know, I, was, I would always say to the girls, you know, my aim is when I'm 85, I'm, I'm laying back watching the best women in Australia play football on TV when I'm 85. Like, that's mm. my ultimate goal in life, that that's yeah. what I'm going to do in my retirement. Yeah. But... I, um, you know, it's happened a bit earlier than that. But it's, it's, you know, every player in the competition has something unique and wonderful to offer. And, mm. you know, whether it's you taking wonderful hangers like you did on the weekend or five goals or playing your role in the team or, you know, little gee whiz just, you know, roving the pack like she does beautifully or the hardness and toughness of, of Mads Press Parkas or the leadership of Ali Blackburn. And, like, everyone offers something. You're all unique. You're all really special in your own way. And that's... Just, there's so much joy in watching that. You know, I called Courtney Hodder's game on the weekend and no one could see me call that, but I was, like, <laughs> jumping up and down and I was cheering. Like, it's just joyful, you know. Yeah. I don't barrack for a team. It's too hard. But I barrack for all of you because I love oh, – there's just nothing better than seeing people who are really good at stuff do their thing in mm. their moment when they're at their best, like whether they're playing an instrument or playing a sport. You know, the real joy in life is people being – all of who they are, bringing their gifts to, to life and and sharing their strengths and gifts with the rest of it so we all get to benefit. I think we what people think is that when we open doors for anyone that's been disenfranchised, when we open doors and let them in, it's good for them. But what we don't realise is they then bring their strength and we all get to benefit from that. Mm. So I get to benefit from watching you kick five goals just as much as you get to benefit from kicking the five goals. It's, yeah. a, it's a gift for – and that's what community is, isn't mm. it? That's, that's why we did it. So, it's a, yes, let's open the doors for women and girls, but let's gift our community something that's really special. Yeah. And it is a really special place. Yeah. Not that I need to tell you that. <laughs> no, it's an amazing place. And I love um, hearing you talk about, um, you know, Ellie Blackburn and Izzy, like, building the league as they're playing in it because I think – we often assume that those girls came into AFLW and the path was well-worn. and yeah. But they have so much pride in where they've come from and what they've built for the younger girls coming through now. So it's yeah. just like a, a rolling piece of everyone building things around them. That's right, yeah. And I think that's important of knowing your history too. Yeah. I think I, sometimes I think for the boys, the history, the, the, the creation history, mm. so long ago that the current boys are really disconnected from it. Mm. Um there's not that oral history, I guess, mm. you know, whereas our current day young women and girls have that oral history and they understand where it came from and who did it and they've got connections with the creators like I've got connections with the creators before me. And mm. and so there's a real pride and ownership because you can connect to the story because it's current. It's a current story. Yeah. Whereas I do feel sorry for the boys in some respects that they, they don't have that connection. They just go out and play football and it's now the entity and it's an entertainment business and blah, blah, blah and one week at a time and, and they've got the luxury of just trying to get wins and losses. Yeah. Whereas we're still not just trying to get the wins but we're trying to create and expand and grow and the better you play your footy, the more eyes we get on the game. The more eyes we get on the game, the greater the investment, the mm. greater the value, the greater respect and you're crafting something new and different. That highlight from you taking that hanger at, you know, four deep on the weekend, you know... Uh, you know, uh, on Jade Progelli, you know, that vision will be used in so many different ways to be able to sell the game in different ways. Can you tell me about what feelings you had in 2017 when the league launched? Uh, oh, um, 
it wasn't until the night um, that that first game, and you know, I was really fortunate that I got to call the game for ABC Grandstand, and um, you know, watching uh, and now Al- Al- Alistair Nicholson, you know, threw to me as Collingwood ran out onto the ground, and I was like, I got really emotional. I was like, oh, sorry, didn't expect for that to happen. Um, but it was interesting because I'd been over in the US for about six weeks holidaying, and as you, I went to the the Trump inauguration. Um, which was interesting in itself. Um, I did book the ticket before the election. Um, but I went to that and then I went to the Women's March the next day. And, and that time in the US was really tense and I flew in the day before the first AFLW game and that contrast of being in the US where things were politically very tense and, and difficult and then flying into this this beautiful night in Melbourne and I remember walking down Sydney Road just from my house and... People were streaming out of bars and cafes and there were kids with scarves and it was a beautiful night and the sky was purple and orange and yellow and kids bouncing footies and I hit Princess Park at the bottom end of Sydney Road and the park was just... People were just streaming into the park and then the trams coming up from the city were just spilling out full of people and I was like, yeah, everything we thought was going to happen is happening and this is this is bloody awesome, this is so good. And people have always said, you know, were you surprised by how many people turned up? And I'm like, absolutely not. Not at all. People have been wanting this for years. Um, but, yeah, it was it was one of those moments in time where you have to stop and go, you know what, yep, it's just another thing, another step forward. It's another achievement that we're not quite – we're not there yet. This doesn't mean we're there yet. Mm. But it's another step forward in, in terms of where we need to go to make sure that there's, you know, there's greater gender equality in our community. Yeah. It's a very special night. Yeah. And now you're um, doing commentary. So can you tell me a bit about – what that's like, I guess, talking about the girls because I, I do feel like the um, the commentary team has played such a vital role in not only in 2017 introducing the players, like talking about their day jobs, everything like that, just giving all the background to everyone who's never ever seen women's footy before, um, but also uh, I guess for you coming from playing footy, you have all the history of women's footy that you. I don't know, do you feel like you're compacting all of that into your commentary as well and trying to give bits of history as well as calling the play? Like how does, yeah, how I does think that feel? In the early days, we certainly there was a responsibility around that. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I remember getting a phone call from another play-by-play caller in the week leading up to that first game and they said, oh, can you help me out? I've got to call a game on the weekend. I don't know any of these people. <laughs> don't know how they <laughs> move. You, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> what are they I'm just remembering numbers and names right now. <laughs> What can you tell me? I've got this game. Who should I look for? Who's a standout player? So, yeah, it's so funny. So in that in that way, I was like, oh, because I, I don't know anything about commentary. I'm just going to have a crack and see. I called the, you know, the exhibition game series. Um, I called um, that first game on Channel 7 and just making it up as I go along. It's quite frightening, really, because mm. I don't know what I'm doing, just making it up, learning as I go. But um, what I quickly realised is that, you know, we each, you know, the commentators... And the football people, we each had a problem and we each had a solution for each other, you know. And so I could help them and they, they certainly have been able to help me. And I found working in the media space so supportive. They're wonderful people, men and women, that mm. have just given me um, so much good feedback and opportunity to grow. And um, I'm, I'm loving it as a really nurturing space. Um, and it's a unique way it, to be involved in the game. I don't think I'd just be a really good fan and just sit there and watch it. It'd be too hard. I think it's a nice way to play still play a role in in how the game gets delivered um you know I'm not coaching I'm not administering talent um I'm not playing but I'm still playing a role in making sure that mums and dads and those little girls and boys know who you are and 
and what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and, and if you're not having a great day, what I think you need to do to have a great day. Mm. You know, I think there's that element as well as, you know, what's the story in the game? And there are many stories. You know, the game in itself is a story, but there are stories within the story um, that can be told at different times. Mm. And so, yeah, I really enjoy, yeah, that storytelling element about it, and I think it's really nice to be able to... Certainly in the early days, we had to introduce you all to the world, but nowadays we just got to talk about your football, which I love. But it's really nice to just talk about all of all of you, you know, who you are, what you're about, what your gifts are, um, where your opportunities are to grow. Um, but just let people know that you're more than just a footballer. Mm. You know, football's just one thing you do. Mm. Um, but you're all really wonderful people who are, you know, taking another step forward for all of us. Mm. Yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm it's glad a, to hear that. It's a it's a performance, you know. It, it very much yeah. is a performance, and there's mm. a theatre about it, and I, I love that too. There's an adrenaline rush, and you're on a high, and mm. no one sees you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's still this kind of real performance element to it, and um, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most about commentating now is that there are a lot of other women that you know the broadcasters are introducing to that space. Mm-hmm. So I've been working with Sarah Hosking a fair bit this yeah, year, yeah. Um, Easy Huntington and Ellie Blackburn and, you know, they're all doing a wonderful job but it's kind of interesting now that, you know, I'm sort of five years in so I can do a bit of mentoring mm-hmm. for them just as other people have mentored me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still not amazing but um, just every game's a learning experience, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. it's really cool. And I, I love turning on the footy and just hearing women dissect the game. Like it's... It's good having your token male, but it's it's great <laughs> having women calling the game. Yeah, yeah, no, no it's good. And then, yeah, look, I think the broadcasters really want to make sure that, mm. you know, that the product, how they tell the story has a really strong female lens to it. Yeah. And they really, I think they really, they're authentic in their approach to that. Mm. And and that's why I like being involved in it. Yeah, it's yeah. genuine. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you come from a, a place of care as well. I think when people hear you call call a game because you've been so involved in women's footy for so long, like we know where you're coming from and you understand um, where the girls have been. So I think it's it's different what you bring compared to, say, maybe what Half brings or what Lee Montagna brings. Like they're all um, – they've had different experiences of the game. So I think it's it's awesome having that lens. Yeah, and I think that's, that's also part of – what I'm learning about broadcasting is that how you cultivate a team of people that can mm. then tell, tell the story. Yeah. If everyone has the same lens, we're going to get one story, don't you? Yeah. So I think there's value in there's a there's a craft in bringing a group of people together to tell the story in a well-rounded way as well. Mm. So there's a role for the leads and the halves and the like. Yeah. But there's a role for the Sarah Hosking as a player, and there's a role for someone like me who's a bit more of a, a historian. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and it works well, I think. Oh, it's awesome having such diversity talking about the game there's yeah. something for everyone diversity something for everyone yeah we Amazing. love it <laughs> <laughs> um so right now you're working at golf so can you tell me a little bit about i guess how footy has informed that role um i understand you you've worked on a vision piece for golf so yeah how does that all work in yeah so i'm the national uh, sorry i'm the female engagement senior manager at golf australia they have a national gender equality strategy called Vision 2025 and mm-hmm. that was initially designed to address the significant imbalance of women and girls and boys and men in the game. So mem- club members are about um, 80% male, 20% female. That number of 20% was 34% back in 1970. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why golf is for women and girls has declined so much is that 
women's lives have changed so much. We went to work, we went to university, we became parents, but we also, also became single parents. And, you know, there's a gender pay gap, there's a superannuation pay gap, there are some challenges and barriers that women and girls have that we have to navigate um, and that might impede our ability to get involved in golf or get yeah. in, in certain things. So, um, yeah, my role is to try and redress that imbalance and, uh, yeah, I work with a really terrific group of people at Golf Australia, but... Um, we have a number of partner organisations, a PGA, the WPGA, um, Golf Management Australia, Golf New South Wales, Golf WA, and, yeah, we're all, as an industry, addressing um, the gender inequality that exists so that we can get more women and girls not just playing the game, but we want women and girls leading the game, administering the game, coaching the game, um, uh, you know, being on boards and the like. So it's a it's a good piece of work. It's, it's good work um, and it's powerful. I think it's really powerful work. Mm. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, and it's good to see so many sports kind of surging at once. I think they all help each other. Like I don't – I think – I felt like a few years ago it was like, oh, you know, if AFL um, is surged forward, then it's taking athletes from other sports. But I definitely see it as more is more. And right. the more women playing sport, girls playing sport, it's going to benefit everyone. So – Absolutely, How do you yeah. sort of see it. Yeah, no, no, totally, I do, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think sometimes I have a bit of an existential crisis with with sport um, <laughs> because you know there's I, 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 this idea of okay, for me to win, you have to lose, and yeah. so for me to feel good, you have to feel bad, and I don't know if I'm okay with that. You know, I was very much a very competitive beast, and I don't like what competition did to me, to be honest, mm-hmm. around my, my ego and my soul, and 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 how it influenced me as a person, and sometimes in my behaviour. Um, and I don't know if I'm very comfortable with that anymore. But, you know, I don't – you know, I, I work in sport. Oh, you know, I love sport. It's fun. Um, it's play. And I think that's joyful. Mm-hmm. But for me, I work in sport because it has such a powerful platform to influence change. And if you think about the national – you think about a, um, a national psyche and how it's been influenced, two things, war and sport, um, and both of, those are, both of those things have been very male and therefore our national psyche has been influenced by, with a very masculine lens – but at the same time, sport is this amazing platform that just cuts through into the hearts and minds of the average Australian person. Mm. So by working in sport and working in opening doors for people who historically have had them close to them, the opportunity for me in sport is, is, is around human rights. It's about using the platform of sport to facilitate human rights. And that's why I work in sport. You know, yeah, yeah I love the game, but couldn't give a stuff about who wins or loses, to be mm. honest. Um, I really care about what's the message that sport communicates, you know, that we communicate that girls are worthy and enough, more than enough. They're valued and they're appreciate, appreciated and they matter and they matter as much as boys and men do. That's that's what I want sport to do. And I think when you have a platform like sport does, it's, an op- it's a massive privilege but it's also a massive opportunity. Mm. And I remember having a conversation with an AFL club CEO and he, he had some daughters and he and we're having this conversation about, you know, we're aiming for 2020 Women's National League. Do you reckon your club would get involved? And, you know, what can you do to help open doors for women and girls to play the game? And and he said to me, oh, I've got I've got some daughters and my youngest one thinks she's going to grow up and play alongside our club captain. And, and I haven't got the heart to tell her that she can't. And I said, well, why can't she? He goes, oh, you know, she's a girl and it's not there. And... I said, so you mean to tell me you've got the most powerful platform 
you're the most privileged person in this whole footy club and you can't facilitate change for girls like your daughter. Mm. I said, because when it's all said and done, you'll be lying there when you're 85 and she'll be sitting alongside you and, she, and there'll be part of her will know that you had that opportunity and you chose not to facilitate change for her and girls like her. I said, or she'll sit there and she'll love you even more because she knows that you brought courage to that platform and that privilege that you had and you opened up doors for women and girls so that she will never die wondering what she could have been. And I said, I know which one I'd like to <laughs> which one I'd like to do. But that's the opportunity, isn't it? Mm. When you've got a platform and privilege, you've got the opportunity to open doors and facilitate change for others. And I know, you know, when I'm 85, I know, I know what I want my contribution to have been with the privilege and the opportunities and the platforms that I've had. And those things have been given to me from women and men before me. So mm. that's that legacy piece that we all have, isn't it? Yeah. So when you go out and take five, you know, kick five goals and you take that great hanger to us, yeah, you're using your platform to show that women can be great and wonderful and entertaining and joyful. Mm. And that influences other people and it opens doors and it convinces other people who might have been resistant that they should maybe open doors for other people as well. That's the, that's the power we all have. Mm. That's your legacy piece. And the best bit of any of that is you get to choose how to use your platform. Mm-hmm. You, can, you get to choose. That's your choice. And I love that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, I sometimes, I don't think about it often, but sometimes I think about, I say to the girls, like, imagine when we're, you say 85, I'll say 62, and <laughs> we're getting invited back to a Carlton function and we all kind of walk in together and just get to reminisce about playing for the club like as older women or or as 80 year olds just coming back to AFL events getting inducted as life members I <laughs> like that'll be amazing and it's something that yeah I never really thought about until being in it and thinking that that can be that can be us you know it'll be even more joyful though Das as you're being inducted in as a life member they'll have the current crop of women who are playing for Carlton mm. and and you'll be looking at those women do amazing things and you'll the life membership will feel good, you know. Um, I'm a life member at the VFL and, and, and at Melbourne Uni mm. and they're nice things. But you know what's even better? Watching people like you play, watching Ellie Blackburn play, watching mm. Dee Berry, watching Mads Press Park at Sally McKenzie, that is way more joyful because mm. it's what you've left behind yeah. and it's what you've, what you've been able to give birth to mm-hmm. by how you've chosen to use your platform. Um, yeah, there's a lot of joy in getting stuff for yourself. Yeah. But I think when you cultivate joy for others, mm. for me personally, that's, you know, nothing for me, nothing beats that for me. People say, oh, are you jealous? You never got to play in the AFLW. Mm. Well, not really, because you can't, you know, you, I've made peace with my time and place in history. But the, you know, I look at, I had this moment, I think, in, you know, one of those exhibition matches, and, you know, Bianca Jacobson tapped it down to Mads. Kerrick, who hand-passed it out to Ali Blackburn, who then kicked it to Hayley Wilde, who gave it to Kirsten McLeod, who kicked a goal. And I just went, oh, I don't need to play because I am playing. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing yeah, through all of those yeah. girls because I chose to invest in them. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's the joy that when you invest in the capacity of others, your leadership legacy is forever infinite, isn't it? You don't need to play anymore. And there will be a time where you won't need to play because you'll have handed the space that you have really forged. Like how you've carried yourselves as foundation clubs, as foundation players of your clubs... What you're saying is this is what this space needs to be for women after us so that you take care of girls and women after us. Um, and, and that's what you're forging, a space for them. So when you're in there being inducted as a life member, you know, these kids that have come up through the ranks that are 40 years, 50 years younger than you, you know, they'll be standing in, the, in, in that space that you've, 
mm. crafted for them mm-hmm. and there's, there's joy in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've seen the AFLW grow um, over the past few years, like sort of won two games each season um, and we've got a final series this year with three rounds, which will be great. Hopefully we'll be part of it. Um, where do you see women's footy go- growing from here? There are six, I think I've got 600,000 women and girls playing across the country. Where do you see the game growing? Yeah, I think it'll continue to, to grow. I still think there are lots of girls who girls and women who... You know, sport might not be something that um, culturally um, they're they're allowed to engage in very much. Or mm-hmm. I think that that's some doors that there are some doors there that we can open. Um, and and the more we just keep demonstrating that there's opportunity, I think that'll happen. Um, and 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 I don't think it's just football. It's just about any girl. Like what footballs. You know, there might be a girl who's a great lawn bowler, but she might be a bit timid about that. But watching mm-hmm. the AFLW might say to her, go and chase your dreams if it's as a lawn bowler go right ahead don't Mm. let people you know people's perceptions of what that is stop you and i think i think when women take up their rightful place in the world and they take up space and they own their platform um it really encourages other women and girls to feel their own sense of agency in the world so i think you're crafting a really empowered community of women and girls moving forward yeah, the game will continue to grow. We'll get 18 teams in. It'll get a longer season. I think probably, you know, the opportunity the AFL has now is to is to not make mistakes that they might have made in the past that they can't undo now, you know, like because there's just so much history and tradition in the men's game. Like, women's game's a blank slate. You know, I love the lasso rule. Like, why don't we bring it in for the men? Like, mm-hmm. there are lots of things in women's sport and women, the, the, the spaces that women and girls occupy that I think there's a lot of things that men and boys can can take from that some of the conversation I'm having in golf with golf clubs. Go and find out what the women's committee does. They do some awesome stuff in the social spaces to keep their women engaged. Maybe you can take some of that and put it in the men's space. And you might get – that might really bring – add something to what you do there. So, yeah, I think think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and challenging and doing things differently. The 16 aside, I really like the lasso rule. You guys probably hate it. But, (laughs) um, you know – I hate the new 50-metre penalty kind of on-the-mark deal. That mm. feels very weird. I'm so glad we don't have that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that does not come in. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think there's a there's a great opportunity. I know it sometimes feels like it's a bit gimmicky or a bit um, novelty, but I think the AFLW offers a space of innovation and that's discovery and that's growth. Um, do some stuff for a year or two, you know, the com- you know the two ladders just didn't work. Mm. But try it, learn. Okay, didn't work. Own your stuff. Didn't work. Let's try something different now. Mm-hmm. That's where growth comes from. If you always do what you've always done, nothing changes. You don't grow. We would never have AFLW if if there wasn't space for innovation and growth mm-hmm. in the decision in the minds of the decision makers, and they did that. Um, and so I think AFLW should never close itself off to innovation and growth. But it's always got to be done in a way that's respectful and authentic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much opportunity in it. Yeah. We're not hamstrung by history and tradition yet. Yeah. yeah. We're just building it. Yeah. Building it as we go. And we get to craft what we want. Like, you know, build what you want. That's it. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Shiloh, thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah, it was awesome 
finally getting to sit down and chat. I've heard a lot about what you've done for women's footy, but probably never really had a conversation like this. So thank you for your time and your contribution towards uh, everything that we get to experience today. Oh, no worries at all. Really great to be involved and play a role. And um, yeah, like, you know, everyone everyone just plays it. It's like a footy team, isn't it? Everyone's got to play their role. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, history is also a bit like a footy team. Everyone plays their role and there's no one that's any more, more or less important mm. than anyone else. Just... If you choose not to play your role, then you can't own what you've what you've also what's been crafted. So I think that's important. Mm-hmm.